Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this great opportunity to come together and to look at your word. We ask you to guide and lead us. Let your spirit show us what you would have us to see. And Lord, for those that aren't here tonight, that you will bless them and, and whatever reason they're not here, and you know it. In Jesus' name, amen. Judges chapter 9, we finished the story of Gideon last week, and we remember that uh, it talked about how many children Gideon had. He only had 71 children, just a small family. Uh, and remember we talked about last week uh, a particular individual named Abimelech who was born of his concubine, who was not really counted as one of his children because it was from a concubine. And at the very end of that last week's lesson, we learned that the people did not treat Gideon's children with the respect that Gideon had, which is not uncommon for these uh, judges to have that happen to them for whatever reason. And I don't know, don't know whether Gideon deserved to not have the respect or, or just the fickleness of the people, but he did not, he did not his, the respect they had for him did not flow into his children. And maybe they didn't deserve it. You know? uh, it doesn't tell us why. So chapter 9, and Abimelech, the son of Jerubbabel, went to Shechem unto his mother's brethren and communed with them and with all the family of the house of his mother's father, saying, Speak, I pray you, in the ears of all the men in Shechem, whether it is better for you, either that all the sons of Jerubbabel, which are threescore and ten persons, or seventy, reign over you, or that one might reign over you. Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. And his mother's brethren spoke him of him in the ears of all the men of Shechem. All the words, all these words, and their hearts were inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. And they gave him seventy pieces of silver out of the house of Baal Berith, wherewith Abimelech hired vain and light people, which followed him. And he went to his father's house at Ophrah, and slew his brethren, the sons of Jerubbabel, being Seventy people upon one stone, notwithstanding, yet Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbabel, was left, for he hid himself. And all the men of Shechem gathered together, and all the house of Milo, and went and made Abimelech king by the plain of the pillar which was in Shechem. And when they had told it to Jotham, he went and stood at the top of the Mount Gerizim and lifted up his voice and cried, Hearken unto me, you men of Shechem, that God may hearken unto you. We're going to stop there because he's going to get into a, a parable. So, All right, first off, do you know who Jerubbabal is? Huh? Gideon. That's the other name that Gideon's known of in the scriptures. Usually his name that's used when he's not being lifted up as a, as a judge. Uh, they would call him Jerubbabel. Wasn't that because he pulled down the, the worship and stuff of his Yes, dad? when he pulled down his dad's, the altar, and his dad defended him. All right, so it says, Abimelech, the son of Zerubbabel, went to Shechem unto his mother's brethren and communed with them, or spoke with them, and with all the family. So he went to Shechem, which is a town in Israel, and this is where his mother was from, the concubine that gave him birth. And... You all know what a concubine is. It's a woman that they were legally able to sleep with but was not a wife. She did not have the rights of a wife. She, he was to support her to a degree but not, didn't get part of the inheritance when he died, was not considered a wife. Any of her children were not considered his children. Uh, we see this all through scripture when this happens. And so this is what the concubine is. It's basically a plaything for all practical purposes. Uh, it's not technically a mistress because it was a legal thing for them to, to have. And they had responsibilities toward any of the children that she bore, but not necessarily to her. It's a very complicated relationship with, with lots of different laws that, that contributed to it. But as far as his wife's children were concerned, anybody that was born of the concubine was not, a, not, was not part of the family. And uh, so he has this, and, and Abimelech goes back to his mom's family, and, and he says to them, you know, hey, you know, do you want Gideon's 70 sons to rule over, Israel, over you, or do you want me to rule over you? In very simple terms. I mean, he makes it nice and flowery. And he goes, you know, and, and just consider, you know, I'm part of your family. 
Yeah, my mom's from this town. You know, I'm, you know, you're my brothers, and my in my family, and uh, quite a quite an interesting statement. Abimelech obviously is not going to be a very righteous person as we read this story, and this is a story which is going to be when we by the time we get to the end of the chapter, which probably won't be tonight. Most of the different attacks for Israel have come from the outside coming in. Okay, they've, been a, they've gone into sin and an enemy has come in and conquered them. Zerubbabel, uh, uh, Abimelech is going to cause a civil war basically in Israel by being made ruler over Shechem. All right, and that's going to cause a, basically for all practical purposes, a civil war. One town against the rest of the nation. Not much of a civil war, but a, a problem. All right? So this is, what's, this is what's happening. Abimelech is being used as an enemy of Israel And uh, as we go through this. And verse 3, And his mother's brethren spoke in, of him in the ears of all the men of Shechem, and all the, these words, and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. All right, so they're going all around Shechem saying, you know, hey, he's he'll make a really good leader. He's, he's one of Gideon's children, but he's also one of us. And it's kind of an interesting thing because in no place do the judges automatically have their children rule. And in most cases, they don't. Or they lead them down the wrong path if they do, but they've never been really talked about except here. When we get to Samuel, we'll see that his children, or Eli, the last judge, his children, are pretty bad kids. And the people don't, they're so bad that the people reject judges altogether and say, we want a king. All right, but why? Because Eli's children are taking the best of the offerings when they're not so, taking the parts that were supposed to be burnt and not taking the parts that were there, sleeping with the women in the, in the, ta in the tabernacle. They were just bad guys. So basically it was the women didn't come to the tabernacle if they really wanted to worship God. And most of the husbands weren't going to come anywhere near the tabernacle to worship God in, during Eli's time. Even though they had to do it at times, it was not someplace you wanted to go because nothing was godly. And so we see many times these judges' kids were not good uh, leaders, or not godly leaders anyway. So we have Shechem, and it says their hearts were inclined to him. They decided they wanted to follow him. And remember... Gideon had been asked to be king, and you remember what he said? He said, no, I'm not going to be the king. God is our king. And we're going to see Abimelech say, hey, I want to be king. And this is what he's starting in the process of. I'm, I want to be your king. I want to be the one that you did. And then it says they gave him four, uh, 10, uh, excuse me, 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal Berith, and with that money, Abimelech hired vain and light people which followed him. So they took 70 pieces of silver from the temple of Baal, Bereth, and gave it to him. Uh, kind of an interesting start. Obviously, the people of Shechem are not worshiping God. Yeah. All right. There's this big temple in there that has 70 pieces of silver that they can go buy a, buy a king for. And... Abimelech goes out and he hires vain and light people, and that literally means empty of emotion and wanton and reckless. In other words, the scum of the world. <laughs> okay, uh, gang members, whatever, whatever term you want to use. He's going and hiring the people that are violent and will fight for him. In some ways, they make great warriors as long as you can keep them in control. It's just hard to keep them in control. But they like violence. These are the type of people they like violence. Um, and this is the people that he hires to help set him up in his kingdom. And you know, if you start out on the wrong foot, you're going to end up on the wrong foot. And by the end of this chapter, Abimelech is going to be destroyed. And evil always does get destroyed. Evil governments eventually get destroyed. Evil leaders get destroyed eventually. And we see it over and over. All through the scriptures we see many times where a leader that's evil comes up and he ends up destroyed. The Antichrist himself is only going to last seven years because of how evil he is. Okay, and he's as evil as they come. 
right? because he's Satan incarnate. He's going to in, he is going to infest somebody's body and take it over completely, and be evil, and and just do what he wants. Contrary to our TV shows that show Lucifer as being a halfway decent person, he is not going to be that as the Antichrist. He is going to be one who is evil. Now, evil can be used, use a good face, but is always for the wrong reasons. And he's going to be every bad person that's ever been in existence all rolled up into one, and they won't even be enough. You know, take Hitler, Stalin, Mussolini, uh, uh, Bin Laden, Castro, you know, all these guys, roll them all up into one bad dude and, and find out that, you know, Satan, when he's the Antichrist, is going to be worse than all of them rolled up together and then multiply it a little bit. And they still won't be enough. But Abimelech starts on the wrong path. He gets this, as bad a people as he can find. And then it says in verse 5, and he went into his father's house in Ophrah, and slew his brethren, all 70 of them except for one. And it says he took them out on a stone and actually slew them. He executed them. He didn't just beat them in battle. He had his people with him. They, they encountered them and basically executed them. Uh, whatever form execution took at that time, he walked out to a stone and just killed them one right after the other. Uh, we would think of it you know, as the... Gangsters putting the gun to your head and shooting, you know, blowing your head off. Or as we saw, you know, several years ago in, in, in Egypt that they killed those Coptic uh, Christians with the swords and cut their head off. Uh, this is what he's doing. Okay, he's executing. He's not killing them in battle. He's not even killing them in their home. He grabs hold of them, drags them out, and executes them. So this is the start that Abimelech has to ruling ruling Israel is what his intention is. A hostile takeover of his family anyway. Uh, you know, execute 70 and one of them gets away, Jotham, the youngest. How he gets away, it doesn't tell us, but he gets away from this attack. And uh, somehow he got missed. Maybe he was, and we know he's not really young because of the, we we're going to read the parable he gives them. So he's not real young. Uh, but he just he is the youngest. And then said, All the men of Shechem gathered together and all the house of Milo and went and made Abimelech king by the plain of the pillar that was in Shechem. And this literally means the oak tree of the mound. Okay? In other words, a totem pole. They gather at a totem pole and make him their king because they're already worshiping a false god. So right now he has been made king of Shechem which is part of Israel, and they're part of the Israelite people. So technically, they're trying to say he's king of Israel, even though only one city, or two if you count, count the, the mound of uh, Milo, which we don't know exactly what that is, uh, some kind of fortress or something, is from what, what I was able to see. And they make him their king. Quite an interesting start to his, to his rule. But you know, this is not abnormal. We're going to see this in... When we get to some of the kings, there were a couple of the kings that would kill their brothers so they would have no competition for the throne. And all through history this has happened, not just for the Jews, but all through history when a king, when the sun rises to power, oftentimes they will kill all their brothers, especially if they don't feel confident in their ability to, to rule. They'll kill all their brothers to get rid of all competition. Or if they're not the one that's supposed to be the king, as Abimelech. Okay, he's, he's, he's got 70 people in front of him, so he kills the entire, you know, not quite royal line, but he kills all the heirs apparent and saying, okay, I'm the only one left. If you're going to honor Gideon, I'm, I'm him. I'm the, I'm the one that's left. And uh, that's how he starts. Now, did all these people understand what he just did? That he murdered all of them? Shechem did, obviously. Uh-huh. And they, they're the one that helped him pay for it, and they know that he killed them, so... Uh, but, you know, if you've, if you've got people on your side, you can get away with a lot. We look at Absalom. Ab David finally, after Joab coerces David to bring Absalom back to Jerusalem, David doesn't see him. Jo Absalom gets really angry. He sits at the gate and says, hey, you gotta, you gotta, you're, going to the, you're going to the palace for a judgment. You know, I'm the king. I'm a prince. Come on over here and I'll help you. 
and he gave them all the things they wanted. Okay, he would have never have made a hard decision as he's buying the people's hearts. And after a while, he's got the heart of the people. Yeah, you go to Jerusalem, you go talk to Absalom sitting at the gate, and he'll take care of you. He'll make sure that you get a settlement that you want. And before long, everybody's in love with Absalom, and he can now start speaking evil of David. You know, I'm giving you, my father would never have done this decision for you. I mean, uh, you're getting this because I'm here judging for you. And after a while, he rebels against David. Abimelech rebels against the nation to become their, try to become their king. This happens so often. And this is how these leaders get into power. If you know the history of Hitler, Hitler was a very charismatic individual and was loved by the people before he become, before he entitled himself the Fuhrer. Okay? He was, he was elected chancellor for seven years before he, before he declared himself dictator. All right? And when he even declared himself dictator, he said it was for your good. All this stuff is going on. Look what I've done for you. And I'm, I, am your, I am your Messiah. I may not use that word, but I am your savior. I'm the one that's going to keep you out of all these bad things. And the people loved him. Okay? If you, if you watch the crowds and anything you've ever seen in the history, they're cheering for him. The crowds of hundreds of thousands of people are cheering for him because of how charismatic he was. He had them on his side. Now, did they know everything he was doing? Probably not everything, but he was still able to explain the things he was doing. He was able to explain to the satisfaction of the people or the majority of the people. And this is what we have to be careful of when we look at charismatic leaders. Several of our presidents in the past years have been very charismatic people. They'll say what, what people want to hear. And you, know, you can't get away with it as much in this generation as you could in the past because you're always on the, on the TV. But even today, you'll see so many of these politicians telling each crowd what they want to hear and getting away with it because the media doesn't really cover it. And you, and you start listening to them, and I'm going, well, you said this to this group, and you said this to this group, and they, you can't do both. They're both opposites. And they get away with it. And people fall in love with them and say, hey, he's, this, he or she is going to do just what we, what we need to get out of our trouble, even though there's no way they can keep all their promises. Well, this is what Hitler did. This is what Abimelech did. Okay? He's saying, hey, I'm, I'm your man. I'm your man. I can, I can lead us into prosperity. I can... I can be the one that delivers us, you know, Shechem, you know, I, I am the brother, I'm, I'm Gideon, I'm, I'm one of you, I'm, I'm going to make Shechem the, the capital city of Israel. That's probably what he's saying to them. They're on his side. Oh yeah, we like, we like that. We like, we like, we want to be, we want to be uh, lifted up and, and exalted. Okay, and we, this is something for us as Christians, be very careful as we look at charismatic people, not, not spiritually charismatic, but just charismatic people that are very you know bubbly and draw people to them and I'm not saying all of them are bad but you know what if you're being drawn in by that personality you're in trouble whether it's a pastor a politician anybody if you're drawn in because of their charismatic personality you're setting yourself up for potential problems which is why I tell you for me always be a good Berean get into the word check out what I say because I don't want anybody following me because somehow they think I've got the right words or saying the right things. I want you to know that I'm speaking the Bible and you've checked it out. You know, hold the Bible up next to the politician that's giving you all these words that they're going to tell and say, well, let's see, you disagree with God here, you disagree with God here, you just, nope, you're, you're off my list. Right. <laughs> okay. Now, unfortunately, we might have to vote for the least offensive one to the word of God. Uh, that's been my case most of the time when I voted. But, you know, we need to be very careful and not just follow them because they're, you know, got a great personality and everybody loves them. Because those are the ones that are going to get us in trouble. And we want to be very careful. And this is Abimelech. He's obviously a personality. He's obviously able to draw them to him. And he's playing on the fact that he's Gideon's child, you know, one of Gideon's child. He's playing on the fact that, you know, I'm one of your brothers as well, you know. And, and I, hey, by the way, I've been rejected by by my family, and Gideon's family has totally rejected me. And he's playing on that, that whole process as well. Yeah. More, more of the whole thing, there's nothing new under the sun. 
Politicians have always been politicians. Charismatic people that are going to lead you wrong have always been the same, the same type of people. And this is why when people tell you the Bible is so, such an old, old book, how can you learn anything from it? You can just tell them you need to read it. You need to read the Bible and see that you could be reading today's newspaper in many places in the Bible and say, wow, especially the his history parts of it. All right, when you read these history parts on it, it's, it's like, wow, yeah, they, they, they had the same problems we do with our leaders. <laughs> they made the same promises. They, 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 they did the same corrupt things to stay in power. They, they would be willing to kill people to stay in power. Wow, nothing, nothing has changed. So, and verse 7, and when it was told to, to Jotham, he went and stood on, the, on top of Mount Gerizim and lifted up his voice and cried and said unto them, Hearken you to me, you men of Shechem, that God may hearken unto you. The trees went forth on a time to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But the olive tree said unto them, Should I leave my fatness, wherein wherewith by me they honor God and man, and go to be promoted over the trees. And the tree said to the fig tree, Come you and reign over us. But the fig tree said unto them, Should I forsake my sweetness and my good fruit, and go and be promoted over all the trees? Then said the trees unto the vine, Come you and, and reign over us. And the vine said unto them, Should I leave my wine, and that tears God and man, and go be promoted over the trees? Then it said all the trees unto the bramble, Come you and reign over us. And the bramble said unto the trees, If in truth you anoint me king over you, then come and put your trust in my shelter. And if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now therefore, if you have true, done truly and sincerely in that you have made Abimelech king, and if you have dwelt well with Jeru dealt well with Jerubbabel and his house, and have done unto him according to the deserving of his hands, for my father fought for you and adventured his life for Far and delivered you out of the hand of Midian, and you are risen up against my father's house this day, and have slain his son, seventy men, upon one stone, and have made Abimelech the son of, of his maidservant king over the men of Shechem, because he is your brother. If you have dealt truly and sincerely with Jerubbabel and with his house this day, then rejoice you in Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come from come out from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and the men of Milo and the house of Milo and let fire come out of the men of Shechem and of the house of Milo and devour, devour, devour Abimelech. I'm having trouble reading tonight. Then Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beor and dwelt there for fear of Abimelech, his brother. All right, so he gets very, here we go. Jotham hears that his crazy brother, that he doesn't even accept as a brother, has been made king in Shechem. All right? If anybody's deserving it, he's feeling it should be one of him or his brothers. They're all dead, so as far as he's concerned, it should be him. Okay? If there's going to be a king in Israel, it should be him as far as he's concerned. And his parable is going to tell us that he really doesn't even believe he's supposed to be king. He just knows that Abimelech is not supposed to be king. All right? Because we read this and see how he, how he talks about it. And so he gets up on Mount Gerizim, and he starts shouting down a message to, to Shechem. And his message is in a form of a parable. All the trees got together and wanted a king. So they went out and they asked the olive tree to be their king. Now, I don't know how many trees have ever gotten out around and, and tried to try to walk around, much less talk or, or have a king, but you know, this is a parable. <laughs> you know, uh, and they go to the, uh, the olive tree and they say, you know, hey, you be king. And he says, you know, hey, should I, you know, everybody loves my, my oils and the fatness that I'm giving them. Why? And they praise God because of me. Why should I go be your king? They do this to the fig tree. They do this to the vine, the, vine, the, the olive, uh, the, the, the grapes. All right. And all of those three all say, no, we're not going to do this. And you notice his progression. He starts out with the olive tree, a mighty tree. The olive tree also represents Israel in scripture in most cases. When you see the olive tree, it usually refers to Israel, uh, especially when you see it in any kind of parable or prophecy. It will usually refer to Israel. Uh, in the New Testament, we're told that we as Gentiles are engrafted into the olive tree. And... Uh, that is a picture of Israel. We are engrafted into Israel. 
Another thing about an olive tree, it's the only tree that when you engraft a branch into the olive tree, it changes the nature of the branch to be what it is, an olive branch. It literally reforms the DNA or whatever it does, and, and if you branch it in, it will, be, it will become an olive branch producing olives. If you go to any other tree and you engraft a piece of the tree from it, it will remain what it is. We had a tree in, when we lived in Virginia that I think it was a pear tree, and they had engrafted in a, an apple and two or three other apricot and everything. And so this tree produced four different types of fruit, depending on what leaf you, depending on which branch you went to. The only problem is all of them tasted like pear, pretty much like pears, because they got the roots and the food of a pear. Okay, so it had an apple that tasted a bit like a pear. Not completely like a pear, it was still an apple, still had some. You know, the apricot was an apricot with a little bit of pear flavor uh, involved with it. And I may get the trees mixed up, but that was, but an olive tree will change the branch into an olive branch and produce olives. It's the only tree out there that does that. If you took an olive branch and grafted it into an apple tree, what would it do? I Don't know. Don't know on that one. I only know that this one was something that made sense to me because the Bible tells, tells us we're engrafted into the olive tree, which means that he's taken Gentiles, putting us in as Christians, and putting us into the Jewish relationship, and we have the same, we become what they are as far as God's favor and, and family. Uh, but they start with the olive tree, Israel. And I really believe he's kind of thinking, you know, Moses or, or Joshua could have been king, you know, easily and they refused it. Now we go down to another generation of trees, down a little bit from the mighty, mighty olive tree, we go to the fig tree. Fig trees don't grow near as big as olive trees in most cases. Olive trees get huge, especially in Israel. Okay. Uh, and they go to the fig tree and say, hey, you know, would you be our king? And it says, no, why should I get rid of my sweetness? I, I, you know, I have every, everybody likes me and, I, and God is, you know, everybody blesses God because of me. Don't come to me. You know, could be people similar to uh, the first judges saying, no, we're not going to rule. <coughs> then he gets down to the, vin the vine, the grape vine. You know, now, why a tree would ask a grape vine to be its ruler, I have no idea. But this is the point of this lesson. You're going, we're progressively going down. Yeah, you know, they're getting desperate. They want a leader. They want a king. And they get to the vine and they go to the, the, the grape and say, hey, would you be, our, would you be the king? And says, hey, I got a perfect job. They take my fruit and they, get, they, they make uh, wine out of it and they get happy and they bless God and God's happy. No, I'm not going to be. And then they get to a bramble. Just a bush. And a sticker bush that nobody wants to be around. They're coming to a sticker bush that isn't, growing, that isn't going to grow very much and say, would you be our king? And the sticker bush in its arrogance says, hey, yeah, if you really want to be, really want me to be king, Come trust in my shade. Now picture this. Trees coming to the bush that would be under their shade. And he's saying, if you really want me to be your leader, come, come abide in my shade. You know, uh, I am so big and strong, I can, I can shade you and you're going to put your trust in me. This is Abimelech talking to Israel. I am so mighty, I am so powerful. I started out so righteously by killing my brothers, and I am the little, least, of the, least of his family, and you know, we're in a, in a town that's one of the least towns. Come and, come and depend upon me. And this is what Jotham is going, going in. He says, you know, would the trees do this? You know, he's basically trying to make fun of them. The vine, would have been his, the vine would have been his father. No, I'm not going to do this. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you honor. And he comes down to the brambles and said, hey, if you really, hey, trees, if you really want me to be, your, be, your, be yours, you, then you come and, and hide, under my, under, hide under my shade. And there, he's supposed to be under their shade. Right, that he was asked to be king, and he said, no, you've got God. Gideon. Gideon said that, yes. Yes, Gideon said that in the previous uh, chapter when they wanted to make him their, him their king. And he says, no, I'm not. I'm not going to be your king. That's uh, chapter 8, verses 22 and 23. So this is, this is that strange picture. When you really start seeing this story coming out, 
you know, this little bramble bush is saying, okay, trees, you come hide, you come hide in my shade. You come hide in my shade and I'll be your king. <laughs> and, it, and it's just a hilarious story when you really yeah. think about it. And he's making this point, you know, Abimelech is that bramble. He's that bramble that's not going to be able to hide them, not going to be able to keep them, not going to be able to protect them from the sun and their enemies. And uh, he says, and if you're not going to let me be your king, then, then let fire come out of the brambles and burn all the trees. Okay, and that is something that could happen. Many forest fires start with the, the brambles and the brush underneath and burn the trees because that starts. It's not usually the trees that start burning first. It's the, the leaves and the brush and the brambles and, that get dried out and start the big fires. And uh, then the fire gets going, the trees catch, and then you've got a real fire once the trees start catching on fire. Uh, before you just have a really hot, intense fire. And uh, you know, if you've ever started a fire in a fireplace, you know you, you put your logs in, you put, you know, well, you put your kindling in, which burns quick and hot. You put a little heavier stuff in that burns quick and hot, and then you get your logs in, and hopefully you've burnt it hot and, hot and quick long enough that the log catches, catches fire. Okay, and that's basically what he's saying here you know, on this uh, statement. And, uh, and then uh, he says, now therefore, in verse 16, if you have truly done sincerely with, you know, and made Abimelech your king, which you, and if you have dealt with Jer Jerubbabel in his house and done to him according to the deserving of his hands. In other words, you've, you've, you've moved Abimelech to be king and have you really done what my father Gideon Jerubbabel deserves? Okay. And then just in case they forget, in verse 17 and 18, for my father fought for you and, and adventured or put his life in danger. It's a fancy word for that. His life for you and delivered you out of the hands of the Midian. Okay. So he's kind of just remembering, in case you forgot my father, I know he's been dead for only a couple of years, but in case you have forgotten about him, He's the one that delivered you from the hands of the Midianites and ruled for those, you know, uh, I think it was 30 years, 40 years. You know, but in case you forgot about it, let me just remind you of history. You know, and sometimes we need to be reminded of history because we forget history so easily. Our country is forgetting its history and it's not being taught clearly and it's being warped in the way it's taught and being changed. But how often do we even forget the history of our own lifetime? You know, we can forget some things that we've learned in the past and, and go off the wrong direction in spite of what we've learned because it is so easy to see things in, in the wrong light, especially when we want to be disobedient. You know, well, God, I know that you delivered me from this, but you know, God, uh, you haven't done anything lately, so I'm going to go off and do this. You know, oh, you know what? That's exactly what I did before that God delivered me from. Yeah, we've got to be careful with looking back over history. And this is why I share with us, we need to be able to keep some kind of journal, some kind of record in our mind of when God blesses us. Because there's going to come that time when everything is happening and everything seems to be bad. We feel like we're in the middle of being Job. And, and we start looking around and saying, well, God, there's never been anything good in my life. And that's when you need somebody or something to remind you, well, what about you know, five years ago when this happened, 10 years ago when this happened, 15 years ago when this happened, last week when this happened. Uh, because when we're starting to look at everything negatively, everything else looks bad. And we need to be so careful about how we look at our, our past. And not try to sit there and think about all, all about how bad things are and how awful they are. And, you know, and again, I'm not, I never, when I say this, I'm never trying to say positive thinking is the right answer, but you know, we do need to be looking at what is positive. Because otherwise, we will get wrapped up into this negative opinion, and it will color everything that we look at with that negativity. And the best thing in the world could happen to you, and you're going to be Eeyore. You know, I just got a nice house. I'm sure the wind's going to blow it down tonight. I got this wonderful, bun, you know, bunch of food, a bit of, bit of sour at the bottom. You know, every blessing, you look at the dark cloud around it. Uh, and, you know, usually if you're looking at the dark clouds, you're going to find dark clouds. It just, it just happens. And, you know, when you're looking at the positive side, look what God is doing for me. 
you know, Annie's favorite book, The Hiding Place, when they go into the concentration camp and, and, this, and Corey's sister says, you know, we need to thank God for these fleas and these lice. And she goes, there's no way. Well, the good news was the guards never came into their, into their barracks, which meant that they weren't, the women weren't harassed and raped because of it. They were able to have Bible studies because of it. And all they had to do was put up with some fleas and lice. <laughs> Well, that's a big deal, but uh, I think the answer is pretty obvious on that one. Being in danger of being raped and, 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 uh, and molested and all that stuff, or fleas or lice, I think it's a pretty easy answer. Uh, but you know, they never realized what God had done until after the fact, down the road a little ways, when they're talking to all these other barrackses where everybody's being molested and raped and Go, oh, wow, they never come in there, so maybe these fleas and lice are a really good thing. And usually this is what happens. We look at God, and God promises that all things work together for good, and he is a good God. And we don't usually know, see how these bad things are good until oftentimes years down the road when we look back and go, oh, wow, God, that really was. You did prepare me for what I'm going through now by putting me through that. It was good. Oh, I reached this person with the gospel by going through this. Okay, God, it was good. This person came to Christ, even though I had a really hard time in that portion of my life, this person got saved. If somebody gets saved, is it worth it to go through yeah. hell? You know, I think it would be. You know, and most of, the, most of the biographies we read, they're going, I'm willing to go through whatever it takes as long as a soul gets saved. Paul tells us, you know, and he knew that it wouldn't happen, but he says, God, if you would bring all of Israel into your kingdom, I'd go to hell in their place. That's love, and I don't think I have that much love for anybody. Okay? Uh, I don't have that much love to be able to tell God, I'd go, God, I'd go to hell if you saved all, all of whatever clan or people. I don't have that much love. I'm getting closer, but I don't have that much love. <laughs> to, to be punished for eternity for somebody else, but that is what true love really does. It is willing to suffer when it, when it comes right down to it. And this is why when people go, well, I just can't take it anymore. Well, then let's ask God for some love. Let's ask God for some love. And I've been there where I've asked God for love. You know what? Love hurts. It really does hurt when you, when you love people so much and you watch them do things wrong that they're, they're going to suffer for and get hurt from. And it, and it hurts and you just pray all the more for them and, and pour out more, more of your heart to them and just try to get them to follow. And so he's remem reminding them of their history. And then in verse 18, you have risen against my father's house this day and have slain his sons, 70 people upon one stone and have made Abimelech the son of his maidservant king over your, your men of Shechem because he is your brother. So he's kind of remembering, remember what, remember what Gideon did? Now you've gone out and you've killed 70 people and you've picked the one that's not even really one of his children. Okay, that's what they're saying. Abimelech's not one of his children. You know, he's, a, he's a son of the maidservant, the, the concubine. All right? He's not even, not even a wife. You know, he's not even a legitimate heir to Gideon, and you've made him ruler. All right? uh, this is Jotham's big statement. Verse 19, If you have dealt truly and sincerely with Jerubbabel and with his house this day, then rejoice you in Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. So in other words, if you've done right, then be, be happy. And so far, they've been happy. <laughs> okay, they got a king. Yeah. All right, they've got a king. So far, they've been pretty happy. Uh, but if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and let the house of Milo and let fire come out of the men of Shechem and devour the house of Milo and devour, uh, from the house of Milo and devour, devour Abimelech. And by the time we get to the end of the chapter, we're going to find out this is prophetic. This is prophetic. There's going to be many. Uh, Abimelech's going to destroy people that have made him king, and they're going to kill him. So this is a prophecy that even though I don't know that Jotham understood that he was given a prophecy, it's a prophecy, and it's going to happen fairly quick. Only three years later, it's going to be, come into fulfillment. And it's kind of an amazing thing when you read these, uh, how often God gives us prophecies that come true just as it says. Abimelech's going to just just defeat them and then he is going to be defeated. So a very powerful thing. And in verse 21, this brave guy ran away and fled and hid. 
survived in the first place. <laughs> yeah, he ran, he ran away when his brothers were being killed. Now he's running away after he produced. And he's just like his father who ran away, who, who, who ran away when it was time to, to face the music for destroying the idol. Uh, this is a family trait, apparently. <laughs> Run away when the time gets rough. On the other hand, when he gave the option, he's to stand there and die. This is true. I mean, it, it is what keeps him alive. Yeah. Yeah. But it just strikes me funny. You know, he's, he's really brave standing up on the top of the mountain, and he yells down at him, and then he runs. <laughs> runs for his life, uh, which is what he did when his brothers were being killed. He, yeah. Somehow he ran for his life and got away from them. Uh, but Gideon was pretty much the same, same coward until God got hold of him. So we see all of this going on, and we see this statement by the true heir of Gideon saying, you know, hey, what, you know, do you guys think you've done what's right? And sometimes that's just what people need to hear. Do you really think that what you've done is right? And at least if they have any conscience at all, it's going to prick their conscience. And we don't know if this statement has pricked their conscience or later on what he does is going to prick their conscience, but they're going to rebel against him later on. Uh, in, the, in this chapter. Verse 22. When Abimelech had reigned for three years over Israel, and I love this, but they put Israel and it's really only Shechem because Israel is going to be the one that rises up against him at the end. Uh, God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem and the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech that the cruelty done to the 70 sons of the Jerubbabel might come and their blood be laid upon Abimelech, their brother, which slew them, and upon the men of Shechem, which aided him in the killing of his brethren. And the men of Shechem sent liars in wait for him in the top of the mountain, and they robbed all that came along by the, that, along that way, and it was told unto Bimelech. All right. He, Bimelech rule, rules and reigns for three years. This is going to be the first time Israel has anybody, any king, technically over any part of Israel until Saul reigns many years later. All right, but he is, he is only over Shechem. Shechem and Milo are the only two places that have made him king. And this is something he's not king over the whole land yet. But you know, this is also what's gonna happen when David is anointed king. Samuel goes to the house of Jesse and says, Jesse, I'm gonna have, you know, we're gonna offer God, we're gonna worship God. And he says, bring your sons. And Jesse brings all but one of his sons. <laughs> okay? And he looks at him and looks at the first one, a tall, strapping youth, and says, Oh God, this must be this must be the next king of Israel. And God says, I don't, I don't look on the outside. And he goes through this with all the sons of Jesse, and he goes, and God says, Nope, none of these ones. And then he looks to Jesse and he goes, Well, do you have any other sons? And Jesse goes, Oh yeah, I've got the young one. He's out he's out taking care of the you know. Uh, you know, and it says, well, I told you to get all of them. Get, it, get him in here. And God says, he's the one that's going to be the king. David is anointed king of Israel by Samuel. Nobody else is accepting David as king yet. Many years later, when David becomes king, he is only accepted by Judah and Benjamin. And Benjamin's quite a surprise because Saul came from the tribe of Benjamin. And he's replacing Saul. So the only two tribes initially make him their king. And it's going to take another few years before all of Israel comes to him and makes him their king. This is what Abimelech's trying to do. This, you know, even though it's before time, he's, okay, I'm, I'm king of one. If I'm a really good king and I, I lead these people well, the rest of the nation will fall, fall under me. But he's claiming that he's king of everybody. <laughs> all right? He's claiming to be the king. And it says in verse 23, God sent an evil spirit between them, and he just let things fester. You know, God can send blessing, or he can withhold blessings. When he withholds blessings, everything seems wrong. And what was ending up happening? God, after three years, he took the blessing away. And then, you know, everything that happened, they probably they might have had a bad year of crop, and it's going to be Abimelech's fault. Uh, somebody comes in and, and cheats him in a deal, and it's going to be Abimelech's fault. Everything is going to become Abimelech's fault. And this is what was happening between David and Saul. Every time David had a bad, uh, Saul had a bad thing happen, he blamed it on David, basically. And God had sent an evil spirit upon him and just took away the blessings. And 
got so bad that Saul kept throwing spears at David every time he went to play the instrument. You know, chased him all over, all over Israel trying to kill him. Okay, why? It all started that day when they came back from a battle and the women were saying, Saul is slain his thousands and David is ten thousands. And the jealousy got in Saul's heart. And it's like, and it says that his next statement was, what more can he have? They've, they've given him credit for 10,000 and not me. I, I was the king of this battle and they're, they're claiming David did all this. He goes, what more can he have but the kingdom? And from that point on, he was out to get David because he was sure David was going to take his kingdom away. And you know, if he'd really just understood the heart of David, it wouldn't have been as big a deal. He would have had David leading under him and helping him out for his entire reign. And then when God took him out, David would have taken the kingdom because that's when, what God had said and that's all he was going to do. And Jonathan was all set to give him the kingdom. Jonathan loved him enough to say, hey, God wants you to be king, you can be king. Maybe he's like many princes that didn't want to be king. Uh, there's a lot of responsibility in being king. Not everybody really wants to be king if they really understood what it involves to be king or president or or prime minister. The job is not all, you know, lollipops and roses. It's a pretty tough job to, to do on any of these things. And it's kind of funny when you watch prime ministers, you watch the president and see how much they age in, in four years. They come in with a nice full hair of, full head of regular colored hair and they leave gray. Okay, and that, I'm not even talking about the guys who start old. We're talking about even if they come in young, there's a lot of pressure in that job. It's not a job I would want. You know, there's no, no, people that are ever going to be happy with you all the way around. And there's a lot of stress. You're, you're responsible for the lives of people, especially if you have a war during your, during your, your, your tour. And this is what he's saying on, on saying to them. You know, Abimelech is, has this spirit against him. And then it says, because of what he, has, what he had done and the blood they did, they put men in liar or in ambush. They put them out to ambush Abimelech. They're out to kill him. And what they do is they go up on a mountain pass and they start robbing everybody who goes through the pass. Now, the logic of this is, doesn't make any sense to me. Well, they go up to the mountain to rob everybody who goes through the pass so that Abimelech will hear it and come up and attack them and fall into their trap. So you're going to hurt the people. You're going to hurt people to get to the king. But this is the logic of the lost world. Uh, you know, we're going to do this to people. And in one sense, it does make some logic. They're hurting the, the subjects, so the king's going to come out to battle. There is some logic to it, but they're hurting their own people to get the king to come out to fight them in their ambush. They didn't care who they hurt. They didn't care who they hurt. And, you know, so many times that's exactly what happens. When evil is reigning, evil does not care who they hurt. We see it in all the different riots that we have around this country, country and around the world. You go into riot and you tear up your own community because you're trying to riot to have somebody draw attention to something that's bothering you, but you've destroyed your community to bring attention to the problem. Yeah. You know, look at our community. It's got problems. Yeah. You know, we're going to riot, and it really has problems when you're done rioting because you've destroyed all the businesses and, 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 all the, and the cars and all that stuff, and you're going... Uh, well, you know, then maybe you come to your senses later on and go, well, that was really dumb. That was really dumb. We, we destroyed our own community to draw attention to our... And they're all friends that have the community. And, you know, this is what they're doing. But so often, evil will do whatever it wants to try to make itself feel good. And this is one thing I notice when I talk to the prisoners. These guys have a whole different way of thinking about things. They will do things that I would never even consider doing and not understand that it's bad. You know, they will hurt people just because. Just because that's what they want to do. And, and somehow they're feeling justified on it. And this is what happens with the evil of the world. When we don't recognize that we're created after the image of God and everybody is worthy of respect because we're created after the image of God, we can do whatever we want to people because they're not important. And we're seeing so much of that with all these mass murders, all these killings that are going on. It all boils down to they're being told that they're not of, made of the image of God. When they're told that they are nothing but evolved animals, then why not kill everybody else? The strong, the strong is supposed to survive. You know, there's nothing special about them. They're just an animal. So we'll go kill them. 
When we tell people you are made after the image of God and you have inherent dignity because you are a child of God, whether you're saved or not, a child of God with inherent dignity made in the image of God, that used to check people from harming people. Now, does it, does it stop all of it? No, we know that evil has been going around forever. But the more they separate themselves from the picture of the image of God, the more they will be willing to do violence and do, do hard things. Sometimes, even in churches, we forget that the lost are created in the image of God, and we refuse to serve them for whatever reason. They're just too big a sinner. We're not going to give them food or or help, or try to lift them up, or try to train them to be, to be godly people. And we forget they're made in the image of God. And it means that we should be reaching out to help them. Can we help every single person? No, no nobody can help every single person. But we do need to be aware of these are God's people created in God's image. And this has been a battle that's been going on for a long time. There's been a battle since Babylon and the Tower of Babel. When Nimrod started false religions and started a religion against God and Eber on the other side was having the monotheistic people and remember we've shared that Eber is the father of the Hebrew people and all Jews are Hebrews but not all Hebrews are Jews because Eber goes back before Abraham and he's the father of the Hebrew people. He's the father, no, I shouldn't say father, but of the nations that trace their root to Eber are all the believers of one God, all right? And so they're not Jewish believers, but they're the followers of the one God who created the world and know that God. And then you have Nimrod and the false religions, which always have multiple false gods, and two warring fractions came up at that time. One for one God, one for a multitude of gods. And that's the battle that's been going on ever since. And it's been a battle that still goes on between the worship of one God and the worship of all kinds of idols. And that's our, where we're at today, is the worship of the God who created the heavens and earth, who loves his people, and all other false religions out there based upon works and trying to please a deity. And so we see this being developed, this whole lifestyle. They're going, we're going to do this. We're going we're to get Abimelech to come and save his people because we're going to hurt his people. Okay, again, the, the, the whole thought process of that kind of is to me a kind of a bizarre thought, but that is what they're doing. And you know, all of this is that evil does not last for long and you do reap what you sow. Abimelech started with violence and, and deceit. He's going to be taken down by violence and deceit. And uh, we see this whole part of this story and we're going to end here because we're going to see the, a battle after this that so we're going to stop on here at verse 25. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for showing us that evil reaps what evil does and, and that you will not let evil reign over long. But Lord, we ask you to help us see things from your perspective in all that we do. Help us go forward in what you want us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.